One of the things I learned by experience is that as a father, when my children hurt, I hurt. And when my children are mistreated, I get angry. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. Jesus wept. Well, that was our focus yesterday on Study Verse by Verse as Pastor Leighton Sheely, the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, talked about Jesus weeping, why he wept. And if you missed yesterday's broadcast, we'll hear more about that in just a moment as we return to the book of John, the 11th chapter. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Mike Trout. You can find out more about us, the church, and this particular broadcast ministry on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Now, the word here, wept, in Jesus wept, is only used once in the New Testament. It's only in this verse, and it is from a noun meaning tears. Jesus had tears. And so after seeing Jesus weeping with tears, some of the mourners exclaimed, See how he loved him. And others picked up the attitude of the sisters and, and asked, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying also? It wasn't too long before this that Jesus had healed a blind man, and not just any blind man, but of a man born blind. Something that had never been, had never occurred in the history of the world. And that created such a sensation among the people, the news spread everywhere. And so they were reminded of that healing, and they were reminded of Jesus' healing ministry. And so they asked, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now there's no reason for us to think that these words were spoken in mockery, They may have misinterpreted Jesus' tears as frustration, as though the situation had gone beyond his ability to to remedy. And in his frustration, Jesus was weeping. But there's no doubt, no reason for doubting their sincerity. Now, the relationship between the two questions asked in verse 37 is uh, expressed as a condition If he could give such sight to a blind man, could not he have kept Lazarus from dying? The conditional clause does not suggest as any doubt to that Jesus had healed a blind man. But what it did is it took a known fact that Jesus had healed a blind man and tried to connect it with a presumption of what might have happened if Jesus had only come on time. If he'd only arrived before Lazarus died. If if he'd only come while Lazarus was still sick, then Jesus could have healed him and he wouldn't have died. But now he's dead. And it's too late. So they thought. Well, we know that Jesus delayed because his plan and his purpose was not to heal Lazarus from an illness but to raise him from the dead. Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now the word here, deeply moved, is the same word as found in verse 33. Remember that we study that. It literally talks about uh, um, a horse snorting where the nostrils flare. 
There's power, there's anger, there's, there's passion. And when it's used of people, it most commonly is interpreted as anger. And if that was the case here, then, then Jesus' anger was probably against death and against sin, which produces death, and the sorrow that surrounds death. But the word may not be quite so specific because it's used in other passages as well, such as in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 1, to describe Jesus in his relationship with the two blind men that he healed and the leper that he healed. And it doesn't make any sense to think that he was angry at the men that he had just healed. And it doesn't make any sense to think he'd be angry with Martha or Mary or the people who were there mourning. We think of the word as meaning anger. It doesn't connect meaningfully with what precedes and what follows. And that's why most translations emphasize the intensity of the emotion rather than the nature of the emotion. One of the translators says, He gave way to such distress of spirit as made his body tremble. There was a physical reaction. Now the tomb... Tombs were common in Israel. The tomb was a cave. And uh, there's two different words to describe a natural cave and a man-made cave. And the word that is used here indicates a natural cave that had been utilized for the purposes of being a tomb. Now, in either case, the floor would have been leveled. There would have been shelves cut out of the walls for the bodies. Um, And the tomb would have been located outside of the city so that the living would not be ritually defiled by contact with dead bodies. It was also sealed by a large round stone, which was rolled in front to keep out grave robbers and animals. There was also another kind of tomb where the opening was on top and a stone was placed upon it. But that was probably not the kind of tomb that is referenced here uh, because of the statement that Lazarus came out in verse 44. It suggests that this was a a horizontal type uh, uh, tomb. Jesus' command, remove the stone, no doubt sent Martha into a state of panic. She didn't yet know that Jesus intended to raise Lazarus. Her concern was that her brother's corpse, after four days in the tomb, would have been in a state of decomposition. The Jews didn't embalm like the Egyptians did. They would cover the body with a linen and cover the linen with spices to temporarily mask the odor of decay. But after four days, the stench coming from a rotting corpse would have overpowered the aroma of the spices. In the original language, Martha's statement is literally, already he stinks. And it was a statement of fact, not assumption. She wasn't saying, by now he should be stinking. She was saying, he stinks already. And she can only think of one reason why Jesus would want the tomb opened, and that was to have one last look on the face of his friend. And there was to be no consolation there. She was horrified at the thought of Jesus seeing and smelling her brother's body in such a state, having the tomb opened and others seeing also. See, in her mind, it was too late for Jesus to do anything 
He hadn't come in time. Her brother had already been dead four days. And the perfect tense of the participle indicates that she thought that Lazarus had entered into a permanent state of death. In other words, she'd given up all hope. Remember I mentioned when I think last we met that the Jewish people had a belief that the spirit would hover near the body for three days, hoping to re-enter the body. But after three days, the decay was too great and the spirit would depart. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha's despair elicited a response from Jesus that was partly intended to give her hope and partly intended to be a gentle rebuke. The scriptures don't record when this statement was made to Martha. He might have been referring to a remark that he made earlier that wasn't recorded in scripture. His words are a challenge to faith. He says, if you believe, and then he points to the, what's central to Jesus, you will see the glory of God. Now, what was to happen was going to be a spectacular miracle. It was going to be a display of the power of Jesus Christ. It was going to be an incredible gift to the sisters. But that's not what Jesus talks about. All he talks about is the glory of God, because it was the glory of God that was important to Jesus. Now, everybody was going to see the miracle, but only people who believed were going to see the glory of God. I'll say that again. Everybody there that day was going to see the miracle. But only people who believed were going to see the glory of God. Newman wrote, the phrase, you will see God's glory, means you will see God reveal how powerful he is, or you will see how powerful God is. However, in some languages, the equivalent of glory would be how wonderful God is, which may prove more meaningful and accurate than merely a reference to God's power. I was thinking about what Newman said. And, you know, if, if, if someone who is your adversary and does not want what's good for you has the power of life and death, it is not wonderful. It, it should be cause for terror. But for us who believe, and through that belief who know that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, the fact that God has that power is wonderful. Amen? Everybody was going to see the miracle, but only those who believed were going to see the glory of God. Now, the Lord promised her that if she would believe, she would see the glory of God. There had been some who suggested that if she didn't believe, the miracle wouldn't have happened that day. And that's not what Jesus was saying at all. What he's saying is, everybody, this miracle is going to happen. And everybody's going to see it. And those who believe are going to see the glory of God. I wonder if some of you are reminded, as I am right now, of Psalm 30. Do you remember when the psalmist talks about 
our morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, being turned into dancing. That's the emotional change that we're learning about as Pastor Leighton Sheely takes us through the 11th chapter of the book of John, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. We'll hear more on the next edition of Study Verse by Verse. I do hope you can join us when we come back at the same time tomorrow. I'm Mike Trout. Our teacher is the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Their website is highlands.us. His name is Leighton Sheely, Pastor Leighton Sheely. And you can learn more about Pastor Leighton and the ministries available at Church of the Highlands at highlands.us. And let us know that you've listened in. Just click on the contact link and share that fact with us. That's highlands.us. Have a blessed rest of your day. And again, come back tomorrow if at all possible and open your Bible to the book of John, the 12th chapter, and study along with us verse by verse.